Welcome back to the Master of None podcast, where we go 365 days, bringing you a podcast every single day. Nothing is off the table. The intention of this podcast is to master the short form podcast, as well as informing, as well as entertaining. So sit back, relax, and listen, and enjoy the show. Well, do we have a treat for you. Today we have a guest on the show, uh, a gentleman by the name of Christopher Claflin. And if you do not know who he is, this man is doing it on TikTok. You see his videos, you see his content. Multiple listeners of the show actually know who he is. So for me, it is really amazing to be able to speak with him and get some information and really present it to y'all. So it's really important to understand that Christopher Claflin is a content creator who has founded Claflin Media. He helps businesses and brands find their voice on social media and increase his sales. And although he has owned and operated software development studios, his approach to social media focuses on more of the storytelling, communication, and human psychology rather than the mechanisms behind popular social media algorithms and platforms. He is an avid runner, car enthusiast, and lover of the outdoors. He lives in Utah with his wife, Erica, and their children. So please enjoy this interview on Master of None as we peel back the layers of Christopher Claflin. All right, perfect. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on this podcast today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I've enjoyed your content a lot. I've actually learned a lot from it. And I kind of just wanted to start with a little bit about where you're located at, you know, where you physically located. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in Utah. Nice. And I've never been to Utah, but I've been wanting to like make a trip up there. Is it pretty majestic or like, how would you describe it? Um, it, I guess. Where are you from? Where do you live right now? Originally, I'm from Arkansas, but okay. my wife and I are like digital nomads. So, cool. yeah, we were living in Boulder last june boulder that i grew up in colorado colorado is home to me i'm yeah. from the springs colorado springs okay so a little bit further south yeah yeah and from there we actually have been traveling for the last year so we lived in mexico for about three months ecuador cool. yeah so for us you know now we're kind of where i'm physically located now is la and we've been here for the last month just kind of checking it out it's probably yeah utah's probably more majestic than la but um, I think that Colorado probably beats Utah in terms of majesty when you think about like really beautiful scenic mountains. Uh -huh. But Utah, like Utah's got um, a lot more diversity in terms of like different landscapes and different like um, environments and ecosystems. Like mm -hmm. if you're into just like hiking and nature and everything, U Utah's probably more diverse. I like them both. Um, but yeah, Utah is beautiful. And if you're into skiing and snowboarding, there is probably no better place in the United States, arguably in the world to hit the slopes. So it's really? got its perks. Yeah. Like reminds me of that Gwyneth Paltrow thing going on right now in trial where she right. hit somebody skiing, but that case seems like completely ridiculous, but I don't know enough about it to comment on it. My brother's actually a ski instructor, though, and he he knows a bunch. And he, he, yeah, I actually probably shouldn't even speak for him, but it <laughs> does seem like there's a lot of uh, a a lot of nuance to it 
and people are like kind of picking sides without understanding all the ins and outs to it. So yeah, I'm one of those people that probably shouldn't be commenting yeah, it's on like, it. It's one of those things where it's like now that you're watching on TikTok, you're kind of following the trial and it's it's really interesting how that works. But that kind of leads me into my next question is I kind of want you to tell me a little bit about your page and where did you get the idea of beginning this? I know um, you know, because whenever whenever you land on your page, it's such a finely tuned machine. And <laughs> you know, where you can kind of see your content. And the thing that's really interesting about you and your content is you're working through many different topics. You know, you have kind of like an entrepreneurial topic, you have kind of like social political topics, and you're kind of blending a lot of things. Because when I look through your content, I'm like, okay, this is like a really diverse TikTok page. And it's kind of like, you know, what, what kind of builds that? What feeds that? Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's not as dialed in as maybe it feels, I'm still figuring that out, but I always wanted to do YouTube since I would say probably 2012 or 2013 is when I was like, I want to create content. And back then I was just horrible at it. Like I couldn't produce, like I knew what I wanted to create when I was a kid. I wanted to be a director and move to LA and do the whole Hollywood thing and make movies. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was talked out of that by well-meaning adults in my life and <laughs> so i kind of just stopped with the video stuff mm -hmm. for quite a while and then um when i moved to utah and finished up school i started dabbling and trying to make that happen <clears throat> and i was like really influenced by creators like casey neistat and peter mckinnon on mm -hmm. youtube mm -hmm. and i kind of tried to tr create that thing like we all have influences and that's kind of where i was heavily influenced so i started trying to create stuff similar to them and sam colder i don't know if you're familiar with him but uh have you seen sam colder's stuff i have not i have not i'm not a heavy youtuber I'm <laughs> okay more, like when whenever youtube was on the scene like some people really got into it yeah and that's why whenever tiktok started happening the short reels i was like okay because you know whenever that was really at its height i was actually overseas so i wasn't oh, like, okay dialed into all of the content like that i was really because i was i was living in china working in peace corps so i just had like a oh. whole different like way of content but i think yeah and i think i get that i get like such a creative feel from your videos like the video where you were related to was it isaac newton or... Yeah, I found out recently that um, I am as closely related to Sir Isaac Newton as a person can be. So yeah. I'm actually the descendant of his brother. Sir Isaac Newton didn't father children, as far as we know. Mm -hmm. um, so his brother is my great, great, great something or other grandfather. And Sir Isaac Newton's grandfather is mm -hmm. one of my great grandfathers through the family tree. Yeah, and when I saw that video and you had such a, like, there was laid out in that library, you had really good angles, the story, there was so much fluidity within your storytelling, I'm like, okay, like, this is where, like, the, the transition happens with content, because you can take a piece of content, and you can make it whatever you want, really, but it's like shaping it in a way that, like, it's so digestible to the palate, and I think that's really where, like, I see that gift, and then I guess I'm curious, like, you know, when was your, when's your first bloody video blow, like go viral? We're like, okay, like, I think I'm starting to get a feel for this. Yeah. So, um, like I said, I was dabbling in YouTube and I couldn't get my own YouTube channel to blow up. And so in Utah, there's like a very large community of content creators 
and a lot of family bloggers. And so I started offering like, hey, I'll script, shoot and edit your stuff for you. And so a lot of these people are like, okay. Um, and so I started creating, sorry, I'm a, <laughs> excuse me. Thank you. <laughs> um, anyway, so I started shooting stuff for these YouTubers and a lot of the videos that I produced for them did really, really well. Um, and so I, my first videos that started to do well, weren't actually for me. And, um, you know, I dabbled with Instagram and a bunch of other things. And when TikTok blew up and kind of hit the scene at the time, I owned and operated a web and mobile app development business. And I was just experimenting with TikTok sort of from the standpoint of development and like tinkering with like the mechanisms behind it. It was like, oh, what what is this new thing? Like, how does it work? And um, so it was like my seventh or eighth video that I posted on TikTok got 2 million views. Wow. So right from the beginning, it blew up. But it's not fair to start at like, oh, yeah, my seventh video on TikTok blew up because it was literally years of creating content for other people sort of behind the scenes where my face wasn't in the in the <laughs> frame at all. Um, and I, I had learned and really exercised the muscle of trimming the fat mm -hmm. and focusing on just the key parts that a move the story along and B make a piece of media interesting. And that's, that's really what I try to focus on with everything I do for myself. And when I talk yeah. to other people, that's really the muscle you need to focus on building. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, what you're saying is you're, your base was already built. So by the time right. you had that seventh video, you already knew how to do angles. You knew how to shoot it and you kind of already had a feel. So you were just kind of getting that a little bit more dialed in. Yeah. It was a different environment um, back then in 2020 for TikTok. Like it was much easier to blow up. So there was luck involved with it as well. It was like right place, right time. But yeah, that's, that's correct. It wasn't like miraculously video number seven worked out well like i knew what i was doing by the time tiktok hit the scene and um there'll be another social media app that comes along and is like revolutionary and a little bit better than tiktok someday mm -hmm. like it, it's this e constant evolutionary competitive cycle with these things and so for the people that feel like they missed the boat with TikTok or YouTube or Instagram or whatever, like you can actually still grow on those platforms from zero today. It's a little mm. bit more competitive and a little more difficult, but just because you feel like it's super competitive and difficult doesn't mean you shouldn't start trying because if it doesn't happen with the landscape that exists right now, someday there might be a new app that hits the scene that does things a little bit differently, or maybe it's like the world's first social VR app or, or AR app and you already have the skills to be able to put together content that's compelling. And if you're one of the first people on there and already have the skills, I mean, all bets are off. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of like um, investing in new technology and kind of, it's the same kind of where you vest your time, but I will come back to that question, but I kind of want to get a feel for like what motivates you or what keeps you motivated. Like what is, what is your mindset principles based on? So, because so much about Instagram content generation is you have to be accountable to yourself and you have to be like, this is what I have to do. And it's like, you know, what, what do you, what do you tap into in order to get that out of you? I, I don't know. Um, I have recently really started to understand that there's like people, we're all the same, but we're all very different. And, and there are some people who just 
have a real hard time with motivation, I have a hard time stopping. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like it is, I it's a compulsion to create. Um, and I don't know where that comes from. My dad was that way. My grandpa was that way. This summer, this winter, when I learned like, oh, I'm related to this family of like thinkers. And like, I mean, when you're coming up with calculus concepts, like who's pushing you to do that? Like, it's usually like people that are just like pulled in a direction. So I don't know if it has anything to do with that or Mm -hmm. um, what the case is. But my problem has always been trying to turn my mind off and relax and slow down. Um, so I don't have like things that I do. I do have a schedule to try to like make sure that the things that I'm working on make sense because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really easy to be like a dog chasing 10 different tennis balls where mm-hmm. there's so many things that I want to like sink my fingers into and play with that if I did everything that I felt compelled to, I'd never get anything done because mm-hmm. it's really difficult to be good at more than one or two things at a time. Um but I'm probably the wrong person to ask that question to. No, I, I think <laughs> I think that I think what you're showing there is like there is some aspects of like genetics. Like, was your father or your grandfather entrepreneurs, or where did you get the itch? They weren't entrepreneurs. Um, my dad was an artist, and he actually got poached out of college by a company called Current, which was mm-hmm. a competitor to Hallmark, and they basically got him kind of hooked on the drug of a paycheck. So he was like genius level talent Mm -hmm. but they paid him just enough for him to be like yeah okay this is like an okay gig for now when he first started with them he was one of 24 artists in their art department and over 15 years through a series of layoffs by the end of his life he was the last artist there and he passed away at 42 he he had a a massive heart attack when i was 14 Mm -hmm. and i Um, That actually shaped a lot of the way that I I view all of this because I looked at him, this person who by himself could have been massively successful if he had just chosen like, okay, I'm going to go out and figure this out on my own. But instead, he got ground up in a corporate machine Mm -hmm. that had him doing like stupid little greeting cards that were an insult to the level of talent that he had. They put a huge amount of pressure on him. So he wasn't sleeping, had a huge amount of stress. He drank Coca-Cola every day. You know, he got hooked on the caffeine. Um, Just like you stack enough cards against your own ability to live a healthy life. And it it caught up with him. And that was pretty much the moment that I didn't internalize it then. But I knew that I never wanted to be under someone's thumb. Mm -hmm. And... um, Took me well, a while mo- for that to happen, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, that's really interesting. I would say that's probably um, like that's a motivating factor. You know, is like it's so funny how whenever we interact with our parents and we get reflection about the life we want, there's that positive. And where you took the experience of your father and you dialed in and you said, "I'm going to build a business off of it and create a lifestyle because that's what I don't want." And I think that's what's really interesting about the why, because right, you know, when you think about those aspects because really why i started this podcast is my father passed away last year i'm sorry to hear that yeah and i I appreciate that and um as a result of that though my dad built a radio station from nothing in oklahoma city wow so he my dad was 82 so he was an older gentleman and uh as a result of building that radio station i was like you know i want to connect to his legacy Mm. and be able to do podcasts like this 
to kind of understand what he was going through and experiencing that. So that's really what kind of moved me in a way to be like, all right, well, I'm going to do this. And I'm gonna, and when I hear you say about your motivation factors, it's just so interesting. And it's, it's so unfortunate you lost your father so young, but his, his life still had such impact on you to push you where you are now. And I think that's what's really compelling whenever you do have really, like you have those stories from your parents to kind of motivate you and learn from. So, Man. you know, I think, I mean, they gave me a little bit of chill bumps earlier. So I just wanted to like kind of dig into that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to hear about your father, man. That's no matter what the age, it's uh, sort of an impossible thing to grapple with, you know, and it like, it shapes the rest of your life. Like no matter what age you are. I mean, look like you're, it's deviated your, cause before this, you weren't doing the podcast you said, correct? Correct. Before this, you know, I was wow. still, yeah, I wasn't really, you know, it's like, the thing about my father is he was a hippie and he built multiple businesses. Um, and, you know, to, to hear those stories growing up about how he had a podcast or I should, had a radio station, which was probably the original podcast in an attic. Yeah. And he used to have a friend and his friend and him would work to it and he would climb up the tower and build it. And he put his blood, sweat and tears into this radio station and then sold it and then moved to wow. Arkansas to be a hippie. And, <laughs> you know, he grew tomatoes and then he built a billboard business and built advertising and media from there. And, you know, whenever you hear stories about people who are entrepreneurs or your, your parents who are telling you, it's like, you kind of get a mindset that, yeah, like your time is your time. Like if you get sucked into this mindset of a corporate hamster wheel, you'll be retiring before you're like, I don't even know who I am as a person. I think. Exactly. Yeah. That's so true. The way that you put it, you lose who you are when your entire life becomes putting on a corporate monkey suit and using all the corporate jargon and using all the phrases and all the bullshit. Sorry, can I say that? Yeah, that's podcast? no worries. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just it's just madness how we're expected to behave in a corporate setting and how much of our lives we're expected to devote to. Um, a lot of it's not even productive. You know, it's crazy. What's like conditioning? And if you look at the school right. system and then you look at the transition of education, it's the same thing. And I think what happens is whenever you're trying to land your ideal job, that's when you're developing yourself the most because you're like, I got to make myself X, Y, and Z. Then you land that job and so much of who you were gets kind of absorbed into it. And I think this happens a lot. Right. And then if you, if you are fired from that job, or if you lose a job, then that's when you're like, all right, now I have to redevelop who I am as a person. And mm. I have to start to understand that there's more to me than what this work is. And, and it's, it's on you because it's like you think about how people have worked the same job for 25 years and they retire. And you're like, well, what did you like? What did you get out of that experience? And some of them have great things. And then some of them you feel like they never really experienced it because I'm sure you being an entrepreneur, you have experienced the ups and downs. And you oh, experience yeah. those emotions and you know yourself really well through adversity, you know? So like, and I kind of, that transitions like, like what is, and I guess that kind of brings us to this next question is like, what is your biggest fear and what was your biggest limiting belief before you did start? this? Hmm. That's a good question. I think right now the biggest fear that I have is you even as an entrepreneur, you wind up being faced with multiple opportunities. A lot of them are very good. 
and right now, actually, you mentioned you had said earlier on, like, oh, your content seems so like polished and and cohesive. And I don't see it that way because I'm like pulled in the direction of reporting on events that are happening in the world, which has nothing to do with the other content that I'm producing, which is like how to create better content and storytell and how do we make something that seems not very interesting really consumable for the average person and those are two sort of conflicting directions and my fear is that um like and this has been something i've been very cognizant of lately which is i have a business that's beginning to build and form and take shape organically which is us working i have a small team and we work with brands and businesses either restructuring their marketing department, retraining their marketing departments. Some startups or B2B companies don't even have a social media department. Mm -hmm. So we build that out for them and help them kind of get their traditional media. And when I say traditional media, I mean SEO and blogs and like all the stuff people have done. I'm Mm -hmm. like, forget newspapers and radio, like traditional, like things are changing. Like it's all about social now. And for the businesses that don't have that in place yet, we help them create that. And the money is really good. But I'm afraid that the money is uh, sort of seducing me away from something that could be much bigger than that, but the path forward is much less clear. Mm -hmm. So Joe Rogan is a good example of a guy who just started a podcast before it was very cool And he just kept doing this thing and it evolved on its own to something that reaches more people than any other show on earth. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if that's a possibility for me, but especially the last three or four months, the reach that I've gotten from sort of this broad sort of blanket of content that I've put out, I get the sense that if I, if I don't focus on the money, there's a bigger opportunity and that opportunity means more growth for myself. And like you had said, allows me to understand myself a little bit better. And it's makes me nervous because I am afraid of making the wrong decision. And can I do both? I don't know if I can do both. Maybe that's the wrong decision to try both. And so that's really the thing that's like keeping me up at night lately is do I choose the business that seems safe and makes a bunch of money? Or do I do something that might not make money or could make a lot more money that I feel more fulfilled with because I kind of like the I kind of like the not knowing what's gonna happen. Um, there's like an adventure to being an entrepreneur and like feeling out a space that you're not even really f- sure exists. Mm-hmm. So that makes yeah, I <laughs> I think what you just stated is like the ultimate entrepreneur's fear of being like, do I play it safe or do I dial deep and kind of shape myself in a new direction in order to expand and grow? But it seems like, you know, I don't know what your work-life balance is, but when you see your content, I think what it does feel like you're trying to figure out what the right note is for you. Like you are, like I see, because I see the diversity and if I was being that diverse within my videos on TikTok, I'd be like, all right, I'm trying to figure out where my voice is amongst all this information. And that's, 100%. Kind, of, that's kind of what I get. And I'm like, when I see that, I'm like, it feels like a, it's a research experiment, like what you're saying, where you're kind of to go through it. But what's so great about it is each one of them are dialed in because, you know, I can learn about 
you know, the, your father. And then I learned about your relationships. I learned about your business. And that's kind of giving that ability to be like, okay, I think I know where Chris sits on this, or maybe like this is right. his thought process. And I think that's, what's really interesting because generating TikToks are not easy. Like the video, the, the dialing the formula in and understanding the visual aspect of it does take that building the brands and building that business. But I think it kind of like brings into the next question is like, what, like, what about this TikTok man? You know, like, and, and how do you think it'll affect creators? Cause I have some thoughts and theories and I kind of, you know, wanted to see what you think of it and kind of get your thoughts on um, the aspects of the band and what you think the next thing could be. What do you think about the TikTok band, Zach? Well, if I break down the TikTok band, I think it's when I, when you look at it, I'll, you put it into, you know, I watch the congressional hearings. You think about the information, and what really is evident from those congressional hearings, because I watched them, is that there's just such a disconnect of information. Mm. And if you're a senator and you're quoting your son about TikTok or the Wall Street Journal, and you have, and there's 150 million people that use this app. I think it's on the senators in the House representatives to do their due diligence and understand what it is, because you only have that one congressman from North Carolina who's used TikTok as a platform to explain things. And everyone else is like, my kid uses TikTok and I think it's going to be bad. And then, <laughs> right. And then you Are you the accessing the home Wi-Fi network through sound waves in the air? Exactly. And it's like, what are you asking? <laughs> I'm like, do you even know what Bluetooth is? Like, why are you sitting on this committee hearing? And then uh, for me, it's like 150 million people use TikTok. Only 433 million of them like have student loan debt. And if you're trying to like build your platform, if you're trying to run again and you cancel TikTok, people are going to be pissed. Like, Agreed. And, and if it is a play... Let's let's go down the conspiracy theory or the real theory rabbit hole of Mark Zuckerberg kind of taking it on to pay lobbyists to create the narrative. Well, that we know a, that happened. That's not do. that's kind of conspiracy. Like they know that he paid. I think it's called targeted victory mm -hmm. to run like a massive smear campaign against TikTok. And this is something that I actually learned from another creator, Dylan Page. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, mm -hmm. News Daddy is his handle on oh, TikTok. Oh yeah, yeah, News Daddy. yeah, yeah, that guy. He actually, a video of his came across my page today that I did not even realize this, but Mark Zuckerberg tried to buy it when it was musically. Mm -hmm. So he, he recognized it early on for what it could be and they wouldn't, they wouldn't sell to him. And so it's one of those things where like, okay, if I can't have it, then this is, uh, this is something that shouldn't exist. Exactly. <laughs> you know? and, I, and it seems like when Mark Zuckerberg went to DC for the congressional hearings on Cambridge Analytica, Whenever mm -hmm. that that was kind of he was there actually meeting with senators then kind of building this platform of TikTok. And if you look, let's say it's a two year plan because he was there two years ago spending money. And then you look at the opening of Meta, you know, it's to me like when you talk about the new VR system, it feels like to me, if Mark Zuckerberg can get TikTok banned. All right, mm -hmm. let's say and then you can only access it through a VPN, does he then launch a metaverse social media platform? To then transition those people because there has to be if, that, if there's a strategic play it's like that seems like that would be the play because there'd be so many people who want to get that tiktok fixed maybe going to other platforms and they're not going to be housed on facebook and instagram because it just can't it can't do the same thing as tiktok can do mm -hmm. 
and it's just that's all i got okay yeah i mean it's a really interesting interesting situation uh, there might be a lot to it that we don't understand or know i'm sure there are layers to this that haven't been uncovered yet but when i when i look at the whole thing kind of what i'm seeing is that like <laughs> my take is that i i made a video two days ago about this where if you really look at it and the congressional hearings, you're absolutely right. The questions that were asked said a lot about the level of understanding on technology in general for the people mm. that were asking the questions. They were asking questions that they didn't even understand what they were asking. You know, like they didn't, it, even if a coherent answer could have been given, they wouldn't have been able to understand it because just the question itself showed how little they know. And I think it really it's so much bigger than TikTok and Mark Zuckerberg because this the bill that would have to be passed has a lot more in it um, when it comes to free speech and how we use these apps to communicate with each other. But I think that the TikTok being banned issue is really a reflection of just the culmination of everything that Americans are frustrated about with their government. Mm -hmm. Because if you go all the way back to 2008, 2008 was really the big middle finger that the government gave to the American people, which was like, no, 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 we don't care about you. We care about the big banks that actually caused this problem. And I think that the banning of TikTok and people's outrage over it doesn't have anything to do with Americans being sympathetic to the Chinese. And um, maybe the Chinese are spying on Americans, but it really comes down to, um, I think that people in the United States are willing to overlook that fact because people on the left and the right are starting to focus their attention more on the fact that the U.S. government continually aligns itself with large corporations they listen to the lobbying dollars that have put them into power it's really clear every time you listen to any congress congressional hearing that the people in congress aren't qualified to be asking any kind of nuanced questions mm -hmm. and the american people continually just kind of get ground up in this system that clearly doesn't represent them um, because every time something like this happens, the American people get brushed aside and special interest groups are the ones that kind of form these deals, make the rules, pass the new laws. And TikTok inadvertently kind of became this free speech hub because it's not controlled by domestic powers. It's controlled mm -hmm. by a foreign power and what do they care whether or not we're criticizing the government or talking about these things? And I think a lot of people on this platform have sort of recognized like and started to really rapidly put together the dots that like, oh, yeah, ever since 2008, the entire war in Iraq, like um, all the big pharma campaigns that we like all of it, like it's all part of the same system and it doesn't serve us because ideally and this is the last thing I'll say on this rant, the role of government is really supposed to be regulating corporations to protect the people not regulating people to protect corporations and if you look at every almost every single proposed law that lawmakers put out it's phrased in a way that says it's supposed to protect the population but actually what's happening is it's granting more power to government to then grant more power and freedom to corporations mm -hmm. and i'm a capitalist man like i'm an entrepreneur 
I want to make a billion dollars. I want to get filthy rich, but mm -hmm. I also know what happened to my dad being taken advantage of by an organization. And I think there should be rules for employers and businesses on how they are able to leverage talent and time of their employees. And right now we got a really skewed system that benefits just a handful of families in this country. Um, and, and that's not really the American dream that we all kind of grew up with. So that's, that's what all of this really says to me. It's much bigger than TikTok. It's more about who controls power in this country and passes the laws mm -hmm. and who those laws benefit. Cause right now it doesn't seem like it's us. Yeah. And I think you're a hundred percent right. And, and like, and when we look at the TikTok argument, it also brings like these conversations like, so I can drink myself to death, I can buy cigarettes. And it's like, right. that's my choice. It's like, if I want the Chinese government to spy on me and I want to look at TikTok, that's my choice. It's not your choice. It's like, you know, like the same thing is like, that's the freedom to do whatever you want to do with, even with your apps on your phone. And it does feel like government overreach backed by corporate interests. And I think that's yeah, and, and where... how interested are the Chinese going to be in Zachary Wingate? Exactly. Or, like, yeah, what's, what's he doing? You know, like what do they have to spy on you about? Like nothing. And then what like what you have. And then you look through the tick, like you look through your algorithm and not once are you ever like, okay, in my TikTok feed, I am now a Chinese supporter. Like there's nothing ever been put in there to indicate that and what's so it's almost like in a weird way the ceo child coming in and talking you see how honest he is you see like you feel like he has a level yeah. of integrity then you look at the you look at your representatives and you feel like you're like wow this is actually making me more aware of what you, yeah, yeah what, what you're doing and it feels like you are actually playing us as a pawn more than this guy is. right it wasn't that crazy I, I i've told that to so many people like it was so crazy to see this like i feel like u.s uh, citizens of the united states that watched that for the first time really understood why foreign countries see americans as so just just disrespectful and loud because everyone on the congressional panel was just so clearly uninformed mm -hmm. clearly unqualified to be asking those questions they were so condescending and then tiktok's ceo just had this like incredible asian respect that's the only way i can describe it is it was like this respect that comes from those countries and even though we were being so disrespectful he still had respect to give and answered questions to the best of his ability even though a lot of times like the question was asked without being meant to be answered. Like they would just cut him off and be like, no, I know you can't answer that question. Well, it's because you won't shut up yeah. and let him answer. Yeah, yeah, it was really crazy, really embarrassing to watch. It was, and I, so I was an intern on Capitol Hill back in the day and I was able to work for a Senator, Senator Blanche Lincoln. I used to sit in those congressional hearings. I would write memos about them. And really? Yeah. So and then I would present it back to the senator. I'd give tours of the Capitol and I got a really good feeling of how the inner workings of Senate work. And you listen, that congressional hearing was very, very different because normally people are reading from a script. And the senators, you mean? Yeah, the senators or whatever House representatives in there. Because Sometimes you'll have the senators, you have the congressmen and they're coming together and they're working whatever. So. Whenever you sit through that, you're like, the tone was so different. Usually they're just reading off a piece of paper. 
like it's a job and mm-hmm. you could tell that each one of them and what was really frustrating is the fact they were so proud that this is the first bipartisan bill and it's like it tiktok is your bipartisan bill where you guys are doing a victory lap that you're happy you're talking to the other side it's like come on right like, you have to do better like for the american people not for exactly your- Yeah, we got all these things. We're sending billions and billions of dollars to Ukraine, which would be a wonderful thing if we could take care of our own people's health care. Like we have all these things. You you hit it on the head. We got health care. Inflation is out of control. There's race. There's like all this racism and bigotry that we're being told by the government exists. And yet TikTok is where they decide to like plant their flag in the soil and say, we're doing something here. If anything, I feel like TikTok is really like kind of pulled some of these walls and barriers down like i i can only speak for myself but there are some political views that i've held pretty firmly over the years that i saw a couple of videos put out by creators who weren't abrasive they weren't running on the talking points that politicians have and they were just like hey this is why i think this is right and they laid it out and i was like oh I never really thought about it that way. It completely changed my opinion. It's made me an, a more open person. And um, yeah, if anything, the app has given people a place to sort of come together and chill out. Because on the other platforms, we wind up with these like echo chambers where it's just people retweeting the opinions and thoughts that sort of reinforce their oftentimes incorrect opinions on things and uh yeah and i think it goes to the theory and i agree with you an example of this podcast is a representation of tiktok without tiktok i would never Mm. come in like all right let's have this podcast and like that's how it's influencing the day-to-day but whenever you can see a human describe something or tell you something you uh, you're naturally going to be more connected if i'm reading through text like people don't know what they're saying but then Whenever you go through that process of seeing the human expressions, you're like, no, this person feels this. So true. I may not agree with this theory, but I need to respect the person who believes it because they're not hurting anybody. They're not causing any problems and they have every right to believe this. And I think TikTok opens up that stream and like, and then on TikTok, the algorithm is giving you something that's so tailored towards you. And that's Mm -hmm. one thing you really didn't get in the congressional hearings where it's like, these algorithms are tailored to the people. Like if you want to see body lifting stuff or women squatting or how to make a birdhouse or whatever, like your algorithm is going to tailor it to where you can get that. And Mm -hmm. that's what's unique about the whole algorithm. And I think they, they really, they didn't even really understand how it worked, but that's, what's giving people the ability to learn and grow because you think like now, and it's like, if I need to figure something out, like, on my house or if I'm or working in a house where I was, I could put it in TikTok, watch it in 30 seconds to be like, okay, YouTube, <laughs> you have to put it in the, like you just, it's a, so it's more of a cumbersome process. Right. It is a little bit, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Crazy I guess, times. <laughs> I guess it kind of brings me back. If you could go back. And so this is another question. So my wife helped me like dial in these questions before because she's a social media. She has her own business on, uh, line but she's really good with like kind of helping me sometimes get my thoughts together but this one says if you could go back with what you would tell yourself at the beginning of your content creation journey like what would you tell yourself what conversation 
would you have your, with yourself then? I would say to myself, you have no idea how close you are to making this work. Drop everything and just focus on this. Because early on, I understood, um, and then that is at the beginning of the TikTok creation period. Because before that, I had been trying to make it happen, and I just wasn't there yet. But in 2020, I had this sense, like, oh, like I know people are making money from this. Like I know that they, I could drive traffic to my existing business this way. At the time, I was running the software development business, and I was like, how much time should I be? devoting to this like is there real opportunity or am i just second like am i am i putting more stock into it than i actually should and that was my big mistake but i mean i can't call it a mistake because i did the best with the information that i had at the time but if i had advice i could give it to myself in 2020 it would be shut down the business now mm -hmm. and go as hard as you can on this because it's way more powerful than you think it is yeah, that sounds like you have a lot of trust in yourself. Like the really, like, do you take that Tim Ferriss approach to business where it's like, this is a research project in a way and every problem is different and I'm not building like a machine, I'm building an understanding. You know, is that kind of the way you attack it? Um, I'm not familiar with his his process. Could you explain it a little bit more? So t in, in Tim Ferriss' book where he talks about the four-day work week, um, you know, I read some of it and what really stuck out to me is that if you really want to be um, better in business or you want to attack new ideas, you can't go from the confirmation bias. So this is what happened before. Mm -hmm. The way you attack an idea is like, I have to look at this with brand new eyes. So I'm going to work on not allowing my confirmation bias to come in and I'm going to try it from zero and build it up and then see what happens. Not, I did this before, so this is what's always going to happen type mentality, but Let's 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 look at this with a fresh perspective because it could yield new results. Gotcha. Yeah, I have a similar philosophy. It's not my philosophy. It's um something a lot of mentors have taught me about. It's the concept of this lean startup process where a hundred percent like like you said, it's you have assumptions about the marketplace or about content you're gonna put out or about a new product that you want to launch. And yeah, a lot of people build it thinking they will come. And then you spend a bunch of time and money creating a product, a service, a business, and then suddenly nobody wants it because your assumptions were incorrect. Um, so yeah, I mean, I do approach problems that way where if I have an idea for a product, for example, I will either use an AI image generator or hire an artist to create a visual representation, like a product image of I was to create a new pair of headphones, for example, I'd have somebody render what that would look like before I created it. I'd put it on my website, start driving traffic to it with a little button, you know, buy these headphones, you know, buy now. And they're like 99, 99 or whatever. Mm -hmm. And when somebody clicks the button, they get bounced off to a page that says, we're sorry, this item's out of stock. Add your name to the email list to be notified when it's back in stock. Mm -hmm. There is no stock at that point, you know, but I'm just testing, like, is there interest in this? Because if a thousand people land on the page, but only 50 click the buy now button, it means, well, okay, maybe these headphones are cool, but they're not priced correctly. So then I can mess with the price. If I start bringing the price way down and still nobody's clicking on them, there's probably not the product there that I thought there would be. It's just me and a couple other weirdos that think this style of headphones is cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, 
we're probably talking about the same thing. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, but, I, think, I think that it's the lean startup. And I think that's yeah. kind of when I look at the trajectory of this podcast and I look at, you know, I started it in Ecuador on a couch and I look at everything I've learned. It's not, it's like at that point where it is, you're doing lean startup, you're trying to figure out what works and then you're trying to build off that skill set. What's tough about the lean startup is that like every business is solving for two problems. And this is the truth for content creators as well. And usually whether you're building a business or you're trying to become a content creator, you're on the opposite side of the coin as the other person. So every business, every content creation creators um, problem to solve for is traffic and conversions. Mm -hmm. So businesses they might have the product already that they know people want. So converting a potential customer to that product, they already know that works, but they need traffic in order to grow it. When you're talking about a content creator, like content creators traditionally are very good at driving traffic, but they don't have anything to convert that traffic to. And so um, what is difficult is oftentimes we're only focusing on one problem where it's like, oh, I've built all this traffic but there's not a business here, but you haven't looked at it from a business perspective yet. Like a lot of times people exist on one side of that problem where like I know creators personally on TikTok who have had billions of views or hundreds of millions of views and they have millions of followers and they don't know how to make money from it because they've solved the traffic problem, but they haven't addressed the fact that they need a business aligned with the content that they're creating. And mm -hmm. the same is true if you're like creating like a, a podcast or a magazine or a tech startup or whatever the business is and you create this thing and it's like, well, this isn't really viable. But if you're not generating tens of thousands of views organically for that business or podcast or book or whatever it is, you can't write it off as something that's not working because people don't even know it exists. And a lot of times people just assume like, oh, this isn't working. I'm not making money from it. But they're failing to like really touch on the fact that people aren't seeing this thing, not because it's not good, but because the traffic problem hasn't been solved for. Like the type of media you're putting out to drive eyeballs to your body butter collection, they're just not there because the type of content you're putting out isn't the right type of content to drive traffic to actually validate whether or not the business or the product is working. Um, and that trips a lot of people up. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, that's kind of like, that's the guru brain. That's like your business brain clicking <laughs> on and your content brain kind of going into a different environment where you can transition it over. And it's like, and that's, that's kind of like brought me to a point where if I'm doing a podcast, I'm like, okay, this, this is just sitting here out in the open. And if it's a single one-off, it's not going to build the same way it build if I could do a whole story. And mm -hmm. then you go, that's where I kind of, I started working on creating a master cast where, because I have done so many podcasts, it's helping people land on a particular podcast that people are paying for in order to understand how to build a podcast and get content mm -hmm. and go from that aspect. And using it in a way where it's like that's the business model right now where we're mm -hmm. seeing if it's working we're in that experimental phase and it's like people landing on my podcast do they want to know how to build a podcast because that's mm -hmm. the information i'm leveraging at this point i could and that that's that thing where it's like well i don't know it's still in the experimental phase right 
but you know it's kind of like it's taking that and then taking the information and blowing it up because for the master cast more than likely i would take a few of your what you just said and i would isolate that just for the master cast listeners and then have your podcast out in the open because i want people to land on you hear you mm. and drive it but i also want there to be those little nuggets to be very specific for the people who want to be a part of that master cast right yeah makes sense and then we'll see but it's like that's that's where it's really interesting with the content creation and building it from that aspect and then i kind of like and then i just have like kind of one more question and i just like to lean on this just for fun but like, is there any conspiracy theories that you are just locked into or they just kind of you like, <laughs> not like I'm like a straight on believer, but something where you look at it sometimes and you're like, this is, it entertains me to kind of hear this particular conspiracy theory, whether it be hollow earth or whatever. Interesting. Um, I don't entertain conspiracy theories too much, mm -hmm. um, but I find them a lot of fun um so like flat earth is one that i believe in zero percent <laughs> but i love to do the youtube rabbit hole of you know hearing that point of view it's just very entertaining um the tough thing is like lately and sadly um youtube doesn't allow that rabbit hole to be mined anymore mm -hmm. like i i want to watch that stuff mm -hmm. it's never going to change my mind I believe that the earth is round and we orbit the sun and the universe is infinite. And mm -hmm. maybe I'm wrong. Like, I mean, what do I know? Like I've never been to outer space. Like maybe the earth is flat. Like I'm willing to, to give that. Cause like, I'm not smart enough to say either way, but what I subscribe to is that the earth is a sphere orbiting the sun at however many millions of miles an hour. But um, I do like sort of listening to that, that, opinion because it's just entertaining it's silly to me it's cringe um and it to me in my opinion um so that's one that i like to entertain um but it's it's hard to because youtube has like put a damper on that like i can't get my entertainment anymore yeah one that i think probably um has some merit to it is that uh kennedy was assassinated by um u.s powers mm-hmm that's one that I think I believe mm -hmm. it it feels like that makes a lot of sense, especially if you look at the path the military industrial complex took after his assassination and it hasn't slowed down at all. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's the really big one that I, I subscribe to. And then then the other one, we'll do one more. <laughs> the other conspiracy theory that I think we all know, is true but i'm very curious about what how many layers there are to it and mm -hmm. whether or not it's highly organized or it's just sort of um uh on the on the surface kind of what we've all seen is epstein's island and the flight yeah. logs associated with it like i'm very curious like was he just connected to a couple wealthy people and set this island up because they were into that and then politicians kind of accidentally wound up in this circle and temp temptation took over or did it go deeper than that where it's like sort of the um the really tinfoil hat conspiracy theory and, and it's actually not that far-fetched that was epstein 
a CIA or intelligence operative and his job was to compromise politicians, catch them on videotape doing who knows what, so that when it really came down to getting them to play ball with whoever's pulling the strings with with global power structure, um, they can't do what's right for the people because if you do, we're going to release this tape and you know which one we're talking about. So politicians have to cave. Like, I don't know what it is, but for sure there's something there. Yeah. And that's, yeah, Ep- that's about as far as my conspiracy theories go. <laughs> which is good. But the Epstein one, I did a deep dive on Epstein because I like, when you look at who he was before he was Epstein. You know, oh, tell he, me, who was he? I haven't done this research. Oh man, it's it's like when I'm, a, I'm a little, I'm obsessed with people's personalities before they became who they were. Like, I mm-hmm. love to learn about it. And with Epstein, what's super interesting is his father was actually a grave digger and his mother was a cleaning lady. And Epstein had this propensity to be really, really intelligent. But he ended up not finishing high school, right? So he actually finished high school. I'm sorry. And he didn't finish college. And he so they didn't up, come from money then? No. And he ended they had up, no connections to money. No connections to money and no nothing. He's just Joe Schmo. And he actually got a job teaching physics at a university right Hmm. and within that class he had that job for two years my no college degree the guy was really really intelligent he understood numbers and from there he one of his students father was the ceo of berenstein bear 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 stearns bear stern and that's where he started getting into financing and building his career he never had a college degree he had humble means but he was able to network like nobody else. So within a matter of three years, he had a job at Bear, Bear Steen. I'm thinking Bear, Bear Stern. Bear Stern. <laughs> As a result of Bear Stern, he took that and he leveraged it in different ways. And that's why he was able to create his own organization or company that worked in embezzlement, right? And within that embezzlement, he would be hired from other entities, other companies to investigate money flow. And from there is where, they, is where they think the CIA or the intelligence aspect would be because they just would have contracted him out and been like, hey, we need your help. Now, if you look at just what happened with Chase Bank and how they were funding a lot of these um, women giving money for the sex workers, there was a particular guy in there where they had over 1,300 emails and he built a relationship with him. And now he is the CEO of the Barcelona Bank, the really big one. Interesting. In the UK. And he and the thing about him is they would joke about women and money, but he could always find that individual who was who had this kind of obsession or their weakness and exploit it really well. And he would use women. Epstein could you mean? Yeah. And that's kind mm. of and that's where he built the Lolita Express, the island, and then right. had planes because he got tried in Florida for sex trafficking. So what do you think, uh, since you know so much, I would love to ask your opinion. Um, what do you think his, do you think it was more, he was driven to do these things by the intelligence community? Or do you think that this is like where he naturally gravitated towards as he became closer to money and power? I think he naturally gravitated towards it. Because Interesting. the thing about the government is it's just like entrepreneurs, where your mm-hmm. skill set is going to be seen is what you're going to be utilized for. So it's like, if you think about how you're building a business and you're working through your own skill sets and it kind of pushes it to the forefront and creates an industry, 
if you're in certain aspects of the government, you have certain skill sets, it could be used and utilized, but it wouldn't have been the agency as a whole more than likely, more of an isolated group. So maybe an isolated group who was created for whatever means to be like, we need to keep track of what our senators and congressmen are doing. And we need mm. to have dirt on them because it's the only way to leverage it. So there could have been a guy in there who's like, I actually know this guy I party with named Epstein. Right. And we party together and he's helped me actually investigate another fund from Syria for embezzlement. Let's see if we can get him on here to kind of bring in it and create this flow. And then he was like, oh, maybe there's actually a market for this. And then he might house it out to other governments because he had a pass. He had four passports, right? He had a passport for Israel. He had a passport, I think, for Russia and he had other governments. So he would always joke about being a spy, but it seems like he was like a contract contracted worker to get information on money and women and then the government potentially use that because if you look at the result of his suicide it makes no sense like right you you know you look at how he potentially hung himself on the bed and they like did the photos of the bed because if you look at the top <laughs> of the bed everything is still on there right mm -hmm. so nothing was pulled off if you're putting that kind of body weight you're going to get some movement. And he had a, a sleep machine in there and he didn't use the cord from his sleep machine because he needed it at night. Um, he used a ripped cloth and there was a clavicle muscle, a bone broken in his neck that coincides with being strangled. Not right. So if you look at all that information and data, and then you look at the weirdness of the island and the fact that the Clintons were on it and you look at whoever wrote on it. Well, see, that's, that's probably even the most disturbing thing to me is like okay so what so what if he did kill himself that's just the end of the story it was mm -hmm. kind of like oh yeah he killed himself it's over what about the flight logs like we know all these world leaders were were there so like that's it he killed himself like so that ties up all the loose ends like even if he killed himself it's still like the biggest story maybe since kennedy's assassination Cause like, yeah, it's just, uh, and you know, to bring it full circle, I really feel like that's why people have gravitated to TikTok. Cause if you post about this stuff, it doesn't get shut down the way that it does on YouTube or mm -hmm. Twitter or mm -hmm. Facebook or Instagram. Like, cause it, I mean, maybe the Chinese are trying to undermine the U S government. Okay. But like, what does it matter to them whether or not we were asking these questions? And it's the American thing to be asking these questions, to be questioning authority, to be questioning power. Um, like, it's part of what makes Americans Americans. Uh, you know, it's like kind of in our DNA. It goes back to to rebelling against King George and wanting to do our own thing. Um, but yeah, yeah the Epstein thing is so weird. It's so weird. It's, it's weird, but it's, what's crazy is like Elon Musk has that he's going to start he wants the logs he wants that information to be put out and brought into the light and it's and it is interesting how apps like tiktok do shine light in these weird places that you would think about mm -hmm. and then you know they have the whole thought about the wife and how the whole thing happened with the pandemic before if people want to go super deep to kind of lure information away from it but when you look at everything about Epstein and we and what it really does is come back to this narrative that there's a lot of distrust in what the government could be potentially doing with taxpayer dollars, mm. undermining mm -hmm. what's happening. And, and I think that's that end of the day, that's the TikTok 
argument too. Yeah. Is like, what are a hundred percent, a hundred percent, yeah. And then I guess the last point, and then I'm done, is if you look at kind of some stuff on my podcast, you look at the information. You know, is there any advice that you would have for someone who's just really trying to get into that mindset? You know, or understand the best way to attach attack it just from a from like a point of just like 10 episodes or just something really small or minute or any thoughts you may have on i don't know if i i get i understand the question fully is it about if if you were starting a podcast or i think a podcast or just if you are starting in a world of content and you just gave Mm. somebody like a brief i don't know just like what advice would you have for the development of content, if that makes gotcha. sense. Yeah. Um, content creation is one of those weird things where you can be given by an expert a checklist of things to do and it still won't work mm-hmm. because there's an element of artistic expression and creativity that kind of is the secret sauce to whether or not media, whether it's a podcast or a TV show or a TikTok page or whatever else is going to grow or not. And so probably the best place for somebody who's never tried it before to start, and this is going to sound like very odd advice, but if you've never picked up a camera and made a TikTok video, or if you've never made a YouTube video, or you've never made a podcast, probably a good place to start is with just copying the content of other creators that you like just for internal use for you to review how you were able to replicate one of their pieces of work. Mm -hmm. Because if, if you look at a Casey Neistat vlog, for example, it's helpful to like, you know, say, okay, I'm going to make a carbon copy of this episode with the resources that I have. And I'm going to say the exact same things as him, the exact same ways that he says them, because he's my main, my main influence. And you start going through, through the production process. You'll learn faster than any other way, what it takes to get that level of quality, that type of edit, how to have that presence on camera. And we all, whether we're musicians or fine artists or content producers have to have some sort of model at the beginning that's a model that worked even if we can't articulate or understand why that person we're modeling blew up the way that they did because sometimes creators that have millions of viewers or millions of followers blow up by chance they don't necessarily deserve the reach that they have because um anybody can produce content like um, some of the big creators out there because it seems like very low barrier to entry. And the reality is a lot of creators are really big because they got started at the beginning of these platforms. So they grew with the platform and that type of content doesn't work later. However, if you're first starting out, it's better to learn your process, in my opinion, while sort of following a template from someone who has made it because that allows you to develop your own sort of workflows, understand your own weaknesses, understand like, oh, okay, like, yeah, Casey Neistat 
my personality doesn't work with how he presents himself on camera. You figure that out very quickly and you start to morph into like, you start to realize like, okay, I can be more myself in this direction, that direction, but it gives you sort of a respect for the craft and it gives you a benchmark to try to reach. And when I talk about copying content from other creators, this isn't meant to be posted. This is sort of just stuff that you're creating for yourself. Once you wind up with your finished podcast episode or a TikTok post, you just watch it back yourself and compare it with the one you were trying to mimic and ask yourself, like, did I make the cut? Like, is this as good? Um, because there's a lot of how-tos out there that fall flat because it's sort of missing the the soul of what makes a good piece of media. And unless you have somebody kind of to hold your hand through the process from start to finish and help critique your creative, in my opinion, yeah, if you've never picked up a camera before or a microphone or whatever, try to do the same thing as somebody else because you'll learn just how hard it is to speak a whole coherent thought without ums, ands, uhs, and filler words, you start to really realize the things that you should be focusing on because to somebody, and I'm sorry for this rant, but I'll wrap it up with this. No, keep ranting. I like it. To, to somebody listening to Joe Rogan go off on this like beautiful articulation of what it means to start a podcast and be your own creator and do your own thing and not be beholden to executives and producers who tell you what you can and can't say. That's a common theme with his, his show. If you listen to him, mm -hmm. um, when you try to do that on your own, even if you're trying to say the exact same things as Joe Rogan, like you're copying a little segment from his podcast, you start to realize like how insufficient your own mental muscles are around taking a complex thought saying it in a coherent way that doesn't have the filler words, that doesn't have the awkward pauses without stumbling over your words. And when people start out at the beginning without a clear understanding that that's hard to do, oftentimes people give up before their 10th or 20th episode because they're putting out content. It's not landing and it's very hard for them because there's nothing to compare their content to. It's really hard to compare that. Like it's really hard to measure whether or not what you put out is good mm -hmm. because there's nothing else like it. It's just your original thing. And it's very hard for us to like really be honest with ourselves. And you see it on American Idol is a great example. A lot of people have this process of like at the beginning, we know we know nothing about this new direction we're going to go in and we have imposter syndrome. And so you start working on your craft. You start working on getting better. And as you start to get an idea of how the whole system works, the gear, the process of creating your media, you start to feel more confident. And usually our level of confidence overshoots where it actually is, like in reality, where we are and where our skill set lies. Mm -hmm. So once you have this overinflated sense of confidence and things don't work, it's like, well, what's wrong with the algorithm? The I'm shadow banned. I'm all these things. And we're unable to take accountability for the fact that our content just isn't there yet. So that's why I like to look at influences and creators that you like and try to create something very similar to what they've done and compare and be honest with like, what's working here? What's not? Where am I weak? Where am I okay? Like it's, if you have no one else around you to help, that's probably the best place to start if you've never done it before. No, I think that's really, really good advice because that's the same thing you do as a musician if you're learning an instrument. 
And exactly. You you're doing covers. Do, yeah, because you're like, I got to do covers because I used to play a lot of music in China. And, you know, I used to, I was in a band there and I played. Um, and you would get musicians there who could play so well and they were just listening to American covers. And what you do is you take those covers and then you build your style from it. And that's what's really kind of guiding you to understand your voice within the content world. And I think it's really, really important to do that mirroring up front because that's the foundation of it. And if you do yes. do it, if, like, unless you're just like, whatever, I'm just going to go full steam and just produce a shitload of content just to do it <laughs> and see what happens. Now, that's kind of where you could be as well. But I like that approach because it's a tailored approach. And what's unique about it is it's giving an individual a framework. And what people mm -hmm. really need whenever they don't have a boss telling them what to do is they need to uphold that framework. And that's what's going to create the consistency. And that's what's going to create the tools needed to build out from there. And I think that's a really, really good piece of advice. And, um, and that's kind of something where when I mirror it, and I think about the trajectory of this podcast too, because it's the same thing. I started at zero and I'm now at a point where I'm getting hundreds to thousands of inquiries or influence and you don't have any input at first. And you're like, I have no idea mm. what people like. And then you try to recreate certain episodes because they did do so well. And you have to right. put the layers and study it and be like, I have no idea why people like this one, <laughs> yes. but they don't like this one. And it's like, and I think with content creation, it is like an adventure where you have to start to build it and then you try to make hits. That's really what it is. You're just trying exactly. to Exactly. You know? Exactly. Like you want everything to be a banger. So when they get all they're like, okay, this is great. And then that's that's how for me, whatever I put on my like musical mindset, um, like that's kind of what generates that thought process in order to do it. But all in all, it is like, I think content creation too, a really good way to look at it is a journey where you're learning about yourself. Because I think yeah. what happens is people are like, why have I not gone viral? Why isn't nobody looking at my videos? Why am I like, and they can, they can, you can play that game with yourself, but you also have to be like, I have to fall in love with the journey and the process. And that's what I'm so glad you said that. I actually was, was meaning to say that too. Um, I think it's worth noting for people that think they want to do content creation. And this is something that um, you asked earlier. I don't know if we can go over the hour Thank mark. You. Is I mean, that okay? I'm, okay. I'm, I'm <laughs> um, you asked me what I, what I worry about. And one of the things that I've worried a lot about, and I'm real recently starting to realize it was an unfounded worry is this like anxiety I've had for a long time about, building a team and hiring people to be employees where I'm paying them to help me build my business, which I own. I am the one that's making most of the money here because of the way the business is structured. Like I'm hiring people that have a skill that I also have, but I have other skills that very few people have. So I'm, I'm sort of offloading the m things that anybody can handle You're to employees. Talent. Right. And, and this is something that's like a really hot button right now because people are like very unhappy with the wealth inequality in this country and employees being taken advantage of and everything else. But one thing that when you're entering the content creation space that I think a lot of people don't stop and reflect on is just asking themselves like, am I the type of person that wants to enjoy the journey 
of having no idea what's going to happen next. Cause there's a huge amount of risk that you take on when you start out in this direction. Mm -hmm. And some people, I think most people would like to think of themselves as the adventure taker and the person who's ready to like cast the sail on their rowboat and set out to sea. Mm -hmm. But most people are more comfortable sitting on the shore and watching other people go out and succeed or fail. Mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with admitting that you're the person that just likes to have a regular job. Because recently, um, a very good friend of mine wanted to partner with me. And I was like, sure, let's, let's partner up. Like, I need help. And so I told him, these are the things I need you to do. And he was like, I don't really want to do that. And he's my friend. So I'm like, okay, well, what do you want to do? Like, let's find a place within this organization that I'm growing that fits for you, that works. And he's like, these are the things that I would like to be doing. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, this is what I want you to be doing. And these fit that, um, that bill that you described and this item and this item that you said is important to you. We're not there yet as a business. Once we grow, you can be in charge of those things. And he was working from home, which I love. I love being able to be in charge of my own work hours and I'm working all the time because I enjoy it. But he went crazy because like he came to me so many times. He's like, we need to get an office and we need to hire more people. And I'm like, why? And it really came down to him feeling isolated and alone and he couldn't self-motivate at home to do the work that he needed to do. He just mm -hmm. couldn't do it. Like he, he had to be put in an office with a boss to tell him what to do. And I was like, look, man, I'm too busy right now to do that, to babysit you. And right now, the size that this is, being remote makes sense. We're not at the point where we need to get an office and hire a bunch of people so that you can feel motivated to go into the office, do your little office chatter, and then do a little bit of work. Like everything we do at this stage needs to move us forward and that moves us backwards. And so he ended up voluntarily saying, actually, I, I this isn't right for me. I'm going to go get a job and then we can partner up later. And I was like, okay, but in the future, I'm going to hire him. There's going to be no partnership because like right now when the risk is being taken and it's really, really tough is where the partnership makes sense. You know, when the, when we're both taking on massive amounts of risk, but mm -hmm. he told me multiple times, like, well, I mean, if, like, cause I said, like, what happens if this doesn't work out? And in six months, we're like drawn down on credit cards to fund this. Are you going to do that with me? No, I'm going to go actually go get a, there's a guy that offered me a job and I'm going to go do that. And I'm like, look, there are no lifeboats for me in this. I'm going down with the ship and I like it that way. And I need to be with somebody who sees the world in the same way. And so there are just some people that this is maybe a hobby for. And my advice would be, you got to be really honest with yourself about your, whether or not you're in love with the potential outcome or like you said, Zachary, whether or not you're going to be in love with the journey because mm. you're not going to make it if it's just for the outcome that you've seen other people achieve because that's really not what this is about. <laughs> no, and I, I honestly think like I do currently have a job, but within the job, I have no, no one's watching me. No one's doing anything. It's my job to generate, make leads, build business. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing whenever you step into that lens of being like, there's nobody telling me what uh, numbers or KPIs I need to hit. I have to do it for me. Right. And what's so amazing about what you just said is like, that is such a great learning point 
for you in the business is with your friend, you're able to identify, okay, this person just, they don't have that itch of being like, mm-hmm. yes, we're going to do it all. Or we're going to go out in a blaze of glory exactly. and burn it all down, or we'll build a freaking empire. Like in the journey of an entrepreneur, in my opinion, and it goes into capitalist American mentality, whatever, is that's the spiritual journey. That, mm. Like there's nothing more spiritual in my opinion than knowing that failure is like right here. Like, you know, right. like, where you're like, I can fail at any moment, but I feel alive at the same time. And that's where people are scared of that. There's, there's a group of the population that do not want to take the risk because they don't want to fail. And what you have to understand is there's nothing more real to yourself than failing. So I look at that situation with your friend as that, 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 that in no way is a failure. That is so, that is a great outcome because he knows where his skill set is. You know, the type of person you need and you know, your expectations for being like, nah, dude, this isn't like, we're still in the wilderness with a fork and a spoon, and we're trying to bring down bears. Like, right, not- exactly. And he's like, where's the log cabin? I, I wanted to be, I thought we were going to have hammocks right now. And it's like, like that's, not right now. <laughs> maybe, maybe a year, maybe six months from now, but we need to kill this bear now. And I need your help to be like, fuck it. Like, we're going to die. Like, right. And I think that that is, that's the mentality of people who do not want to be conformist. Because if you did have, the big office job with all the things and all the amenities you needed, you'd be like, I feel kind of dead inside because exactly don't have that level of, I need to go out and I need to build it, you know? And I think that is where there's a lot of people who want to generate content until they realize no one likes your content. So are you (laughs) going to learn from your content? Are you just going to go down and just give up? And I exactly. And I think that's where it's like, that's what's interesting about this podcast too, is like, because I did the 365 challenge where it's like, I'm going to podcast every day. So that's kind of where it started. And that's where I've been podcasting every day since August. So I make a podcast. Yeah. And it's, it's been a commitment where I'm like, this is a make or break commitment. And it's so random because I was in Ecuador chilling and this guy popped, this TikTok popped up and the guy's like, if you know, I read a book once. If you make a podcast every day for a year, you'll never have to worry about money. I'm like, all you have to do is make a podcast every day a year. You'll never have to worry about money. I'm like, you know what? I am gonna, you know what, sir? I will take your challenge and I will, I will do it. And I've already connected with that content creator and I'm gonna make a podcast with him at the end of it, kind of going through those thought processes of what needs to do. And now I'm sitting at day 228, 229. Yeah, you're eight months in. You're, yeah you're three quarters of the way in. Yeah. So So has that advice rung true? You know, I think here's the deal. What you said in the beginning about shaping your podcast off other people is important because what's really weird about podcasting is it's a slow burn, but, but the residual is good. Mm. The thing is, is like, I'm, I have a small pond right now, but if I look at, I podcasted from August till December. Right. For whatever reason, those numbers were quite low. And I was like, I'm just going to keep, I got to, I got to do the year. And after the new year, I've tripled what I did in those first four months. And people are coming back, interacting with the content and they, and they love it. But for me, I'm building it off a lot of my Instagram and other followers and people are going through it. And 
does it rain true i just got ads last week and they're like you know maybe i make four or five i don't make a ton of money off each podcast but i'm learning a lot and i do think by august what it's telling me is that there is compound interest so mm. by august and I'll, I'll i'll keep pushing it because i love interacting with people i love information and i love to connect with people and, and break things down because i have um dyslexia and I've always struggled with reading and writing, but one thing I feel like I've already always been able to do is talk to people, articulate ideas and draw information. So I think from that standpoint, the podcast is going up, but it's like, it's not like you got to work for it to go up. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that if somebody knows their messaging and they're dialed into their marketing, then they're going to know how to do it faster. I did crazy stuff. Like I'm like, I'm just going to talk about nothing today. <laughs> I'm going to do a podcast about eating a cheeseburger in McDonald's in Ecuador, where I was like, what? And then I would talk about the similarities and differences. And what I really learned is people want a dialed in piece of content. And I normally only go 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So 15 minutes is I kind of emulated off TikTok where in 15 minutes, you're listening to a piece of information that's giving you everything you need to know interesting and that's what people love and they love true crime podcasts i could do a podcast breaking down um the political tensions between china or going back to nixon or whatever because i know that but if i talk about a podcaster killing another podcaster which is really unfortunate and tragic everybody wants to hear that (laughs) i'm like i know we're weird aren't we human beings are weird creatures we like love the negativity we're hardwired for it it's funny it's crazy though, but it's like everybody, it's almost like a podcast to me is like you are at a campfire and you're surrounded oh, by man. everybody. And I want to hear a creepy story because <laughs> I like it. And it's like maybe it goes back to the tribal days. But to me, if I do a podcast on an idea or a concept, if it's not entertaining, it's so flat, you know. Mm-hmm. But if it's entertaining where you have this, these, those, those, those rants, those rants are so important for podcasts because that's really where you see the train of thought of somebody where you're like, okay, I track that. Um, but the positive about podcasting right now is I've learned a lot. I'm able to connect with people like you. I'm able to understand the content space. And I know people who are being motivated by me podcasting every day because then it focuses on them on what can I do? If this guy can podcast every day, why can't I do content creation or follow some type of thing like that? And that's probably been the most, I went on a rant too, but that's like, the most, <laughs> I'm glad you did. And that's kind of where the interesting parts of it are for me. And, you know, like you have, we have so much downtime now as a species and it's like, nothing is more depressing than like where you do get off of work and people want to watch tv but then you have like four more hours where you're like i could do something during this time to create an mm. independent lifestyle or create something where i'm learning more it's like i shouldn't be i should be challenging myself mentally you know and that's where i get really focused on and of the quality of, of how you can do that when you can work from home and i think those things are so important yeah for sure man that's i'm amazed you've been doing a podcast a day since august that's amazing yeah it's it's a feat but i think too learning how if you set something in your mind 
and you say no matter what and you tell everyone around you and you you're comfortable with that because some days maybe the podcast only five minutes but since Mm. december i would say my podcasts are super consistent well thought out pieces of content um but you know it's i don't know it's 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 something that's been amazing for me to partake in and i'm hoping by august you know there'll be like that point where it's like you know where does this go and that's why i brought in the master cast because i'm like you know the main goal is to generate something with revenue and then on sunday i'll have the master cast where if people want to be a part of it um they can pay the money and then i'm making a pdf book for podcasting but i'm using chat gpt to help me write it and it's really <laughs> good and it's like crazy how that in itself is just creating a force multiplier where you aren't focused on those things so that's awesome that's awesome, man. Well, I'm really glad that you you had me on. This was a lot of fun. Um, uh, yeah, it was it's really really fun. Um, yeah, super I cool show. It, it's cool. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. So, where can people find you? Like, where can they find you in the interwebs? At Christopher Claflin across all platforms. Um, I don't really post on Twitter though. Mm-hmm. I never really got that platform. Um but I'm on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. And if TikTok disappears, um, which I, I don't know that it will. Um, you can, if you have a VPN, it won't. Like what's right. going to happen is it's going to drive VPN and they'll pro- then what's going to happen if TikTok's smart is if the Oracle thing doesn't happen in Austin, they'll house it in a different country. And then that country is going to make a fucking ton of money because your VPN will then map you to those databases. So that's probably what could potentially happen. Yeah. 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 If that happens though, I'll, I'll probably, um, just on principle, we'll see if I actually follow through with this, but my plan is to delete Instagram and Facebook. Um, yeah. just, just cause I know that Mark Zuckerberg has been such a big key player in this and, uh, you know, I don't have anything against him, like let him make his money. But as soon as it turns into not allowing other people to make money, if he can't be the one to make it, not allowing other companies to collect data if he's not the one that can sell that data and profit from it i i think i think i'm ready to go scorched earth and delete my accounts honestly like i'm i'm gonna see if there's some software out there that can download all the media that i've uploaded to those Mm -hmm. platforms and and if tiktok goes away i think i'm gonna be just on youtube not that they are um, any better, but I, I feel like since Mark Zuckerberg is the one who decided to put his dollars behind funding targeted victory to create the smear campaign, and he's been lob- lobbying for this um, sort of publicly f- for the longest, um, those are the products that I'm willing to cut out of my life. So it might just be YouTube at mm-hmm. Christopher Claflin, but that's where people can find me. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's good. Well, I appreciate your time. Um, I really appreciate you coming on and getting everything. I think it was it's it's been amazing being able to speak with you, and you know I will love to, after I love to have you back on and then like talk about the experience after the year clicks off and then be like this is what's happened in a year and then kind That'd of be go cool. from there. Yeah, that'd be cool, man. We actually uh, just set up a podcast studio this last week, and we're starting to create content for our own. Me and uh, a couple of guys that are doing this with me. So, if you ever wind up in Utah, we'd love to have you out to the studio and sit down and and do something. Uh, go sure. deep into the Jeffrey Epstein and conspiracy theories that yeah, you're I into. Yeah, I have to get my uh, show up with my notes because I show up with your notes. Yeah. Like, all right, I, 
I have my mind map. I know what I want to talk about today. I'm going off, but yeah, I mean, I would definitely, I'm, I want to go to Utah for sure in the future and then, you know, kind of check it out and see what it's all about, but perfect. Um, and for me, like I'll probably edit it at that point. So I'll, I'll quit recording from here and um, I'm going to go ahead and hit quit record. No problem. I guess. Yeah. And then, um,